I think um, if the Bee Gees had ever got into Christian music, they would have come up with something like Shine, Jesus, Shine. <laughs> it's always a struggle. Um, James' opening words of the last section of his letter in James 5, 7 are, be patient. Now you probably feel that you have exercised considerable patience over the last 10 weeks as I have plotted my way through this letter. Good news for you, this is the last one. And I'll squeeze Advent in next week and then Christmas the week after. It'll be perfect timing. I like finishing things. It's a personality quirk. Although me preaching on patience is a bit like having Hitler and Stalin take a course on conflict resolution. But hey, life is full of ironies, isn't it? I'm going to show you a clip now from Hamlet as a father farewells his son probably for the first time. Have a look at this. few precepts in thy memory, look thou character. Give thy thoughts no tongue, nor any unproportioned thoughts his act. Be thou familiar, but by no means vulgar. Those friends thou hast, and their adoption tried, grapple them unto thy soul with hoops of steel. Beware of entrance to a quarrel, but being in bed, that the opposite may beware of thee. Give every man thy ear, but few thy voice. Costly thy habit, as thy purse can buy, but not expressed in fancy rich, not gaudy, for the apparel oft proclaims the man. Neither a borrower nor a lender be, for loan oft loses both itself and friend, and borrowing dulls the edge of husbandry. <laughs> this above all, to thine own self be true. Must follow as the night the day, thou canst not then be false to any man. Hmm? The time invites you, go, your servants tend. Farewell, Ophelia. And remember well what I have said to you. It is in my memory locked, and you yourself shall keep the key of it. Now, it's not the details of what he said that's important. Uh, quite how borrowing dulls the edge of husbandry, I'm not quite sure. But it's like he's, he's fast-tracking all his parenting. His son's about to leave. And, oh, I've got these couple of things I've always meant to tell you, and here they are. And you can see the son with this sort of long-suffering smile. Yeah, Dad, good on you. Um, 
but he's concerned for his son as he goes out into the world. And I imagine James sitting, writing this letter with his um, secretary. And it would have looked something like that on the papyri. And it cost a lot. So if you look on the right, yep, the right there, all the le- there's no spaces between the words because you didn't want to waste any space. And every single bit is used. And I imagine he gets to James 5, 6, and there's this little bit of papyri left. And so these are his final thoughts for us, his distant spiritual mokapunas. And here they go. Be patient, therefore, beloved, until the coming of the Lord. The farmer waits for the precious crop from the earth, being patient with it until it receives the early and the late rains. So in the Middle East, there were two harvests. You also must be patient. Strengthen your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is near. Beloved, do not grumble against one another, so that you may not be judged. See, the judge is standing at the doors. As an example of suffering and patience, beloved, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Indeed, we call blessed those who showed endurance. You've heard of the endurance of Job. You've seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. Oh, and above all, my beloved, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. Are any among you suffering? They should pray. Are any cheerful? They should sing songs of praise. Are any among you sick? They should call for the elders of the church and have them pray over them, anointing them with oil in the name of the Lord. The prayer of faith will save the sick, and the Lord will raise them up, and anyone who has committed sins will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another, and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The prayer of the righteous is powerful and effective. Elijah was a human being just like us, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain, and for three years and six months it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth yielded its harvest. And then finally, my brothers and sisters, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and is brought back by another, you should know that whoever brings back a sinner from wandering will save the sinner's soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. So that's his Polonius's dad kind of contribution. And much of it seems to be about how we handle difficulties, tough times, struggles. And he exhorts us in the face of life challenges to patiently wait for the Lord. Don't badmouth other people. Even if they are doing you harm, like those big landlords we were talking about last week, but like Job, endure knowing that God is compassionate towards his children. Pray. Pray with each other. Confess our sins to one another. Well, you might be thinking that's easy for you to say, James. But bear in mind, this guy met his end being stoned to death by a bunch of angry Pharisees. We think the only early church leader to die peacefully in his bed was the Apostle John. 
the rest were martyred. So James knew what it was to suffer more than most people. Now his comments about the waiting for the coming of the Lord which is near is kind of puzzling because here we are 2,000 years later. We're here but Jesus still isn't. Feels like he's a bit late. He's overdue. And frankly, I don't know the answer to that. But I'll tell you what little I do know. The first thing that you and I will consciously experience after our death will be, wel- will be being welcomed in the arms of the Lord Jesus. For me, that will be sometime between this afternoon and 2055, if I live a long time. Unlikely, but hey. James wants us to focus ahead on Jesus, who goes ahead of us through life, making the way. A little bit like um, you've seen those curling competitions in um, Otago and Southland, and they sort of fire this ball down a, um, a, a, an ice icy um, surface and the guys go ahead sweeping to get the rubbish out so the the thing can keep going. It's a bit like that. No matter what happens in the here and now, we can have hope that in the future we are finally healed and made whole entering the peace of God, the shalom of God for eternity. And that perspective is our north star guiding us through life that we need to keep an eye on. Well, James also talks about the endurance of Job as an example to emulate. Job, that the wealthy, godly patriarch who lost his children, his health and his wealth, in a battle between God and Satan that he knew nothing about. And Satan was saying to God, well, he's just a good and faithful servant of yours because of all that you give him and all that you bless him with. Take that away and he will curse you. Now if you read Job, and you need a bit of time because it's a big read, Job really complains. He's not happy. He curses the day that he was born. He was seriously, seriously distressed by his losses. And through his monologues, you can see him dancing with the despair that threatens to overwhelm him and the sense of hopelessness. But, and it's a really big 5XL but, there is this underpinning of faith going through it. Mrs. Job unhelpfully implores him to curse God and die. And while Job shakes his fist at God, he doesn't curse him. In fact, amongst his confusion, he acknowledges that God's ways are far beyond his understanding. His faith underpinned his emotional life even at his darkest hour, even when he could feel despair closing in. I was at uh, a funeral for a young Christian man a few years ago who died leaving behind a widow and a couple of little kids. It was awful. His father gave a eulogy 
in which his father admitted he could not talk to the Lord about how he felt because he did not think his faith was strong enough. He could not reconcile a good God with the premature death of his beloved son. It's a horrible thing to bury your child as the Rigby's are doing later this week. But God is still real and loves your family very much. We are not promised an easy life. Indeed, we are called to follow Jesus, who was a man of sorrows, who suffered much so that we could truly live. We journey through suffering rather than around it, avoiding it. Well, the thing that struck me about verses 13 to 17 up there is that we are called to pray. It's not that we are called to pray, because we all know it's like the instructions on one of those kit set things, when you've got everything out and nothing fits, then you read the instructions about how to put this thing together. If all else fails, read the instructions. If all else fails, well then maybe we'll pray. James tells us to call in our spiritual elders to pray for us when we are ill or doing it tough. He calls us to pray together and confess our sins to each other. Now you might think that sounds kind of Catholic, you're not too sure about it, but I tell you when I have owned up to a flesh and blood person, there is a real catharsis. It's like I've truly got that weight off me and it's easier to move on. So we are exhorted just to lean into each other when things are tough. We weren't designed to live life in general, or the Christian life in particular, on our own. The me and God thing is a heresy. It's we and God. Do the two or three people closest to you know your struggles? If they don't, it's about time they did. And you can experience the grace and the compassion that comes from being accepted despite your flaws or shortcomings. Confessing, though, is a very vulnerable thing to do, but it's what Christian friends do for each other. I'm currently supporting several pastors whose marriages appear to be coming undone. Another one of those ironies, eh? We all need support because we will all go through tough times. And it's a lot easier to be patient in the face of adversity when you've got friends in your corner. The Christian faith is a team sport. It's not an individual sport. I've said this before and today will not be the last time that you hear this rodism from me. It's about the we, not the me. Now the grace and acceptance that you have shown me since my marriage ended has been incredibly life-giving for me. At our best, the church is a real foretaste of God's kingdom, the, the horses dervers, if you like, before the main course at the resurrection banquet at the end of time. Look it up, it's a, it's a, it's a word, Frederica. When I tell people, 
how you have supported me this year, they are to, imp- to a person impressed with you. By contrast, a pastor, one of those pastors I'm supporting, I know who is separated and is living alone, has been told by a former colleague and friend that he is living in sin. Ouch. He told me in his world, it's like there are two unforgivable sins, blasphemy against the Holy Spirit and divorce. One other thing in this passage is that stuff about the prayer of faith and confession leading to healing. Now, I think if a health issue that you're facing is rooted in sin and you can address the sin, then yeah, you probably will be healed. If I have fostered an unforgiving spirit, that may affect my mental or physical health. Bitterness, I think, is toxic to humanity. And its remedy is deep confession and faithful prayer. However, not all illness is like that. In fact, most illness is not like that. Paul's thorn in his flesh was given to him so that he would continue to trust God. The most likely thing that is, that we think it might be, was being short-sighted. He was not healed of it. Kept him humble. Jesus said that the man born blind in John 9 was not born blind because of his or his parents' sin, but so that God's glory would be manifest when he was healed. We should pray for the sick, yes, absolutely. But know that there are no guarantees. Healing is not automatic. Now, I don't think that God puts trials on us. They are an inherent part of life, and many are part of the fall and just the brokenness of creation. But he does allow us to go through them, and he does bring good out of them. Now, when the Western Allies liberated the Ravensbrück concentration camp in 1945, which was mostly women, at the end of World War II, they found a scrap of paper lying next to the dead body of a child. And it had a prayer written on it, and I want to read it to you. O Lord, remember not only the men and women of goodwill, but also those of ill will. But do not remember the suffering they have inflicted on us. Remember the fruits we bought, thanks to the suffering, our comradeship, our loyalty, our humility, the courage, the generosity, the greatness of heart which has grown out of all of this. And when they come to judgment, let all the fruits that we have borne be their forgiveness. Wow. I think James would be very proud of them. Clearly, growing through their suffering. We said in our Transforming Opawa document when, a few years ago we, when we were plotting a course forward that we aspired to walk together through life, looking out for each other along the way. It's what Christian community is about. Gathering in the name of Jesus, as we have this morning, in the power of God's Spirit to worship the Father. Don't, whatever you do, waste a trial. Don't waste a trial. There will always be some bit of gold in it for you. And as we approach year's end, can I urge you to take the time to mull 
on the year that just gone. And I know for many folk, this has not been a straightforward year. But particularly to mull on the difficult bits. And the questions to think about are these two. Where was God in it? And what can I learn from it? Where was God in it? And what can I learn from it? Amen. Thank you. Next week, Advent will commence. If the musicians could please come up, we've got one more song. Please stand.
Go now in peace. May the love of God surround you. May the grace of God astound you. And may the hope of God ground you. Amen. Have a good week.